Thank you, Doug and Eddie, and no crying in church. Now, it's really good to be back. Um, great to see old friends, some people I don't know, so, so glad to see some of you. Uh, good, so good to see Pastor Tom Stewart. Tom's a guy that I knew when I lived here and would see on campus, and he ran international ministry, and I always thought, man, I wish I could have gotten to know Tom more. Um, but it's exciting. I'm so excited to see what's going on here. We, went, we drove into town. We drove by the land and saw the dirt being moved, and that's, that's fantastic. I'm so grateful to Ryan for inviting me back to preach, and uh, it's good to be here. So um, let's, let's pray before we go any further. Father, just I thank you for the opportunity to read your word. I thank you, Holy Spirit that you make it understandable to us, because apart from your illumination, we, we wouldn't get it. We wouldn't understand uh, these deep mysteries of the faith. We wouldn't understand even the first part of what the Trinity is, or, or who Christ is. But thank you that you do give us understanding, you open our eyes, and we pray that you would do that this morning as we continue to look at the book of psalms and as we learn how to pray and as we learn how to relate to you and all the emotions that are written about in the psalms as we learn to bring our whole selves before you uh, be, be gracious and kind um, to us this morning we pray this in christ's name amen well my wife and i uh, recently celebrated our 20th anniversary and we decided to go on a big trip so we settled on scandinavia norway sweden and denmark we went a couple months ago and and we did a lot of the tourist stuff one of the things we did was we went to an art museum it actually was a history museum in sweden it sort of tell the history of scandinavian people in in sweden and i thought I don't know, I thought this was just going to be kind of a check-off thing to do, but I actually found myself really enjoying uh, the exhibit, exhibits were really well set up and written about, and there was one room where there was this skeleton of this woman, they talked about what her life might have been like, and then I noticed there was this chair, or pieces of a chair that they had remade, and um, just looked like sort of a normal stool for us, but the inscription next to it said, this likely would have been a status symbol for the owner of this chair. And it hit me, the world has always been a rat race, hasn't it? Ever since Cain killed Abel to prove, to, because he was jealous that Abel's sacrifice had been acceptable and his hadn't, we've been comparing ourselves to each other. And always hoping to come out a little bit ahead. And, and we have status symbols in our own culture, don't we? I heard a song on the radio a little while back. Maybe some of you have heard it's called, I Took a Pill in Ibiza. These are the words. I'm living out in L.A. I drive a sports car just to prove I'm a real big baller because I made a million dollars and I spend it on girls and shoes. Sports cars, shoes, these are... These are, they symbolize importance for some people, right? What are some other status symbols? Country club membership, right? That kind of shows, it's a symbol you've made it professionally. Where I live in South Tulsa, even where you buy your groceries 
has a bit of uh, status attached to it, you know, right? You have Walmart people, and you have Target people, eh, Walmart. And you have Whole Foods people, and you have Sprouts people. When I was in eighth grade, um, they had people started wearing these sweatshirts. They said Coca-Cola on the front. You had to you have to be like at least 35 to remember these, right? Yeah, I see some nodding. These Coca-Cola sweatshirts were all the right. Everybody was wearing them. And it, and typical fashion for me, uh, it took me a while to sort of figure out the, the fad. And then it took me longer to convince my parents that I, I really needed a Coca-Cola sweatshirt. Finally, one Christmas, they bought me it. And, and I remember the first day of school in January, wearing that sweatshirt to school. I was so excited. I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be hip. And by the second hour, I realized, nobody's wearing these anymore. It, <laughs> the fad had passed. And the objects changed, but the status symbols, they're just part of human nature, aren't they? We, we crave them because we want them to show what we've achieved. We, we hope others will think better of us if they see these things, and that they'll, they'll somehow honor us. Well, we're going to look at Psalm 84 today. Um, the musician, the songwriter who wrote this song, this psalm that we call it, I think he's been thinking about status. He's put some thought into this. And now this is a psalm that was written by someone who had been away from his church, away from his community, possibly uh, an Israelite living in exile in a, in a faraway land from Israel. And, and the first half of the psalm is really all about how envious he is of people who get to live in Jerusalem, who get to live near the temple, get to worship regularly. Right? He wishes he could be like that person who some of them actually lived in the temple so they could worship whenever they wanted. And he has this, this metaphor, this word picture of a sparrow who has found, who has made his home in a nest. He says, I wish, I want to be like that sparrow. I want to come home. I want to make my home in the house of God. And then the second half of the psalm, he really then begins to plead with God to answer his prayer, to be able to join God's people in worship. So why don't we stand as I read. It's not a very long psalm, um, but, but hear the word of God in Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So on Facebook, when you want to post something, you go to the status bar. You update your status. And that's kind of what I want to do this morning. I want to update our status. But before we can really talk about what is our status, we need to talk about who determines that. Who gives you your status? That's, that's a little tricky. It's probably trickier than it first appears. In, in past ages, in feudal times, uh, the king would own all of the lands of a realm, right? And he would give titles and lands to, to feudal lords who would then uh, allow the peasants and give them farming rights to the land. And so really the people in power determines your social and your economic status. In India today, right, there's a caste system where you are born into a status. And there's really, in many cases, very little you can do about it. Your parents, your ancestors determine what your status in society is. Of course, in America, the land of opportunity, right, we, we, we feel like we have a lot of freedom to determine who we want to be. And, of course, there are still people who are the gatekeepers, right, who can let us in or keep us out of places of privilege. But for the most part, we, we're able to determine who we want to be. If the Oklahoma City Thunder had just won one of the last three games, right, they would have beaten the Cavs, I'm sure of it, and they would have attained status, NBA champion, maybe next year. We'll see. The problem, though, is that we often let other people determine our status, don't we? When I was in college, I took a, uh, a, a musical sight-reading course. And for the final, we had to sight-sing a piece of music for the teacher that we had never seen before. And so I went in, and I did it. I struggled through it. I was never that great at sight-reading. But after the test, the professor, I remember her remarks. She said, you're not much of a singer, are you? And that stuck, right? That, that title, that, that idea stuck, not a singer. I had taken a voice class the semester before. I never took another voice class. I knew who I was, not a singer. Now, you can certainly depend on the world to determine your status, to tell you who you are, but verse 11 reminds us who the true giver of status is. It says, look, look at this. It says, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He's a protector, but he's also the one who brings light. He's a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Who is it that gives us importance? It's the Lord who bestows honor upon us. The creator of the universe determines your status. And that's, I think, the one we need to be listening to. So then the next question we ask, we figured out who gives us status. Well then, okay, what is our status? And the songwriter here, he gives us two attributes. As you read through the psalm, you see these that, that I think show us who we are. The first is, it says that we are anointed. 
I have to admit, this is a little, uh, you know, this feels like such a televangelist cliche, right? You got to feel the anointing, right? I, I don't even really know what that means. But here's what, in verse 9, what I think he's saying, the songwriter, he asks God, he says, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Now, this is probably a reference in context to the king, right? King David. Right? The king was considered the protector of his people, the shield, but also the anointed of God, the one who's been chosen to be king and to lead his people. And because the king is chosen, the people in many respects are the chosen people as well. Right? So when he, the psalmist is praying, look on the face of your anointed, look on David, but look on your people as well, David's people as well. Well, if this psalm is written for us to pray, how do we pray this? We don't have a, we don't have a king. Right? Well, as Christians, we do have a king. And in fact, one of the most repeated, most used titles for Jesus in the Old Testament is what? Messiah, which literally means anointed one. Jesus was anointed to tell the people, preach God's word, and to uh, work and to build his church. And guess what? When you become a Christian, you are anointed in baptism to do the same thing, to spread the word of God, to build his church. And so in a real sense, we are God's anointed. Being anointed means being chosen, being set apart for a task. It mean, in some ways, it means that you're, you're special to God, to be anointed. So that's the first thing. Our status is anointed, special, chosen. The second thing the songwriter tells us is that we are strong. A couple of weeks ago at my church in Tulsa, I, I noticed before church two, two little boys in the lobby, and they were they were comparing their muscles. They could have been seven, more than seven years old. But, but it, it's funny. Even from the earliest age, we want to be strong, right? We want to have the power to, to defend ourselves, right? To, to not let people take advantage of us. Maybe that's one of the hard things about getting older is we realize we're not as strong as we think we are. Well, in verse 5, he says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Right? The people, he says, the people who are blessed are not those who are strong in themselves, but the people who are strong in the Lord. Right? You may be able to bench press 400 pounds, but what happens when you get cancer? You need a, you need a deeper strength than a bench pressing strength, don't you? That's, that's where Jesus shows up. That's where real strength is. He gives us strength to face the real enemies of sin and death. And in verse 7, he goes on, he says, the pilgrims, every year the feasts, the pilgrims, the Israelites from all over would come up to Jerusalem. They'd make their pilgrimage, and he talks about this. They go, as they're walking, they go from strength to strength. What were they doing? They were singing some of these songs as they were going. They were meeting up old friends and going to the house of God to worship. They were gaining strength from that as they went. Right? We get strength from worshiping God. We don't get strength from worshiping anything else or serving ourselves 
get strength from, from knowing Him and worshiping Him. In Jesus, you are anointed and you are strong. But here's the big question. Okay, so that, that's our status. We know it gives it. What difference does it make? What difference does it make that God tells us who we are? Well, let me suggest a couple of things. If it's the Lord who gives favor and honor, who determines our status, we, we don't have to put too much stock in earthly status symbols. Right? Another confession, another musical confession maybe. <laughs> I have always wanted to be a world-class guitarist. Ever since I was 11 years old and I had a poster of Eddie Van Halen on my wall, I wanted to be world famous. And after over 30 years of practicing the guitar almost every day, the writing is on the wall. It's not going to happen. Now, for Matthew, it might. We'll see. Uh, but that's okay. The Lord has other things for me. And, and the great irony, I think, of status symbols is that they often do not bring the honor that they think they will. Right? I mean, think about the guy in your neighborhood who drives the, the Porsche or the Lamborghini. Right? Do you really think he's that great of a guy? Maybe. You know, no matter how many celebrities we follow, deep down, we don't really want to be like most of them. We, we want to be like Mother Teresa. The status symbols, and they don't make our lives any richer. The rest in that song that I quoted earlier, I took a pill in Ibiza about driving a sports car, buying shoes. This is, these are the words. It says, I can't keep a girl because as soon as the sun comes up, I cut them all loose, works my excuse. The truth is, I can't open up. You don't want to be high like me, never knowing why like me. You don't ever want to step off that roller coaster and be all alone. You don't want to be stuck up on that stage singing. All I know are sad songs. I, I love how honest that song is. Most pop songs... Hip-hop songs are all about the, the image, right? Look at how great my life is. Look at all the stuff I have. Buy my record. Buy this product. We like commercials in that way. But this, this song is, is, is telling much more than that. This guy's saying this is all a show. Right? Having money and fame just makes you lonelier if you can't relate to people. See, worldly status, it's tricky. And trying to attain it a lot of times just makes you a slave to what other people think, to what you think you need to get. But heavenly status is free. Knowing who you are in God's eyes brings ultimate freedom. Freedom to stop caring what other people think. Freedom to use your status to serve other people. The songwriter in, in Psalm 84, he's, he's figured this out, hasn't he? Look at verse 10. This, this is the verse that everybody knows from the psalm, right? For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I love how Eugene Peterson, he paraphrases this in the Message Bible. He says, one day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship beats thousands spent 
on Greek island beaches. Isn't that great? Come on, you say, really? Going to church is better than a thousand-day vacation? And I'll admit, right, if, if church, if all church is, is coming, singing a few songs, seeing some friends, hearing an overly long sermon, I'd rather be on vacation too. I'd rather be playing golf, right? But if worship is something deeper than that, if worship is about an encounter with the living God, if it's about beginning to live, a rehearsal for living in God's kingdom, then you start to understand what the psalmist is after. Why he longs for the courts of God so much. You begin to understand what Jesus means when he says, when he talks about the pearl of great price. And he says the man who finds it will go and sell all that he has to become the owner of this pearl. And the pearl is the kingdom of God and it is a relationship with God. And then he says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Songwriters saying, I, look, I could have status. I could be an important person in the right circles. I could be the man if I wanted to be. But I'd rather be a common servant in God's house. I'd rather be unimportant with Jesus than the most important person in the world without Jesus. And I wonder, can you pray that prayer? Can you say that? Can you honestly say you would rather be a greeter, the doorman at church, than, than have wealth and fame in the world? If you need an example, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He left his high and exalted status, his king of heaven, to become a servant, to become a peasant. He gave up his life literally to be the doorkeeper in the house of God. He says in John 10, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is the gateway to heaven. You can't get in any other way. He's the only one who brings you into the kingdom. And the amazing thing is, though, that you don't have to stay at the door. You don't have to stop at being a servant or being the doorman. You can go, as, as C.S. Lewis says, further up and further in. It's, like it's, it's not like uh, this famous Western one of the most famous westerns of all time, as, as one of the most famous endings of any film in film history. It's a John Wayne movie, The Searchers. John Wayne plays a man who goes and uh, he leads a team that's going to rescue Natalie Wood, who's been captured by this Cherokee tribe. And when he finally gets her after like a year of searching, they come back and to the, her home and she goes running into her house right, to see her family. And John Wayne walks up, but he stops at the door. And the camera frames him in the, at the threshold, and he won't, won't go in. And the idea is there, there is that he knows what he's become. He knows all the violence that he has had to do. 
to get her back. And even though this family is so grateful, he knows he really kind of doesn't belong in polite society. After all that he's had to do. But friends, that's not how God sees you. God is a father that looks out, he sees you in coming, and he runs to meet you. Throws his arms around you, puts his robe on you, brings you into his house. And he throws a feast for you. And he makes you not a servant, but a son, a daughter. That's ultimately who we are. We are loved sinners. We, we don't gain the kingdom by ourselves, right? Jesus had to give it to us. But now that it's ours, now that we have attained that status of eternal life, of eternal acceptance and citizenship in heaven, we need to fight to hold on to that. Because the greatest weapon against the lies of the enemy is to know the truth, to know who you are in Jesus. Another, another movie, number two if you got it, uh, more recent that probably many of you have seen is the movie The Help. Viola Davis, she doesn't have any bread by the way. Okay, got it. Viola Davis plays a nanny, right, who, who is nannying this little girl. And she has this saying, this thing she says to her over and over again, right? You, you remember, right? You is kind, you is smart, you is important. Because she knows this little girl's mother is hypercritical of this little girl. She's negative. She has friends who are super judgmental and negative. And she is trying to do what she can to counteract the negative comments with positive status in this little girl's heart. And in some ways, that's what Jesus is doing for us. The world will, will try to label you. It will tempt you with status, and it will withhold status until you play its game. And some people spend their whole lives running after Attainments, titles, success, security, love. The amazing thing is if you're walking with Jesus, you already have. You have all that. You is secure. You is loved. You is important. And Jesus gave up his life to attain those titles for you, to attain that for you. And when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, Jesus wants you to remember. He wants you to remember who you are in Him and all that He has done for you. And that will make you strong. That will make you remember who you are. 